This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, quite simply the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, and Pacific Life and Annuity. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates New England Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. Ringler Radio brings you all the important news and information by way of discussions with settlement industry experts, attorneys, and high-profile guests. Our topics cover a wide range, addressing issues important to all aspects of the settlement industry. You can find all the Ringler Radio shows on our website at ringlerassociates.com or the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Well, today our topic is uh, what we call a hot one. It's Medicare set-asides. And in the world of plaintiff lawsuits and structured settlements, these are important issues for all parties to understand, but especially if you deal with the world of workers' compensation. They've become a critical component that must be considered in the settlement process. And more recently, in the world of third-party claims, MSAs are also becoming a major factor to consider. Today, we have some great guests on this show. Uh, first, I want to introduce my colleague at Ringler Associates, Tom Murray. Tom is an associate in the New York office. He has over 36 years of structured settlement experience and has been a claims, uh, in, in the claims industry for a number of years as well. Uh, Tom, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you, Larry. And uh, I just want to say that whenever I have an issue uh, surrounding workers' comp, uh, Tom's the guy I go to, and Tom, you've yet to send me a bill, so I appreciate that. <laughs> And uh, along with Tom, we'd like to welcome Attorney Jay Sangerman of Jay Sangerman PLLC, also in New York. Uh, Jay is practicing in the area of trust, supplemental needs trusts, and estates and elder law. Jay serves as a consultant to medical malpractice and personal injury attorneys, as well as to insurance companies. And he also speaks extensively on estate planning, elder law, and planning for disabled adults and children. And, Jay, this has become quite a niche within your practice, this whole area of MSAs. It certainly has, Larry. Welcome, uh, Jay, and thanks for joining us. And to give us a perspective from uh, those who are most affected by all of these rules and around these MSAs, some are from the claim industry. Uh, joining us today is Ray Blanchfield, who is uh, the Assistant Vice President at American Re in their home office in Princeton, New Jersey. Since joining the company in 2002, Ray has assumed responsibility for workers' compensation for the American Re's Fortune 500 client list. And as a claims consultant, Ray's experience spans some 22 years in this field of expertise. And Ray, welcome, and thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Larry. Well, one thing I know about this weather in the Northeast, I knew none of us will be out playing golf today, so we could all, all get into this topic. It's a, it's a real uh, interesting one, and it's causing an awful lot of concern uh, for a lot of folks in the settlement industry. So let's get get started here. Uh, Tom, why don't you give us a, a little overview. What exactly is a Medicare set-aside? Well, fundamentally, it's a, it's a means of guaranteeing that funds are set aside and, and made available for future medical expenses related to liability and workers' compensation cases post-settlement. A third-party administrator can be brought in to administer a third-party trust, and you can have um, a self-administered trust also. We're seeing of the administrated trust 
through um, several companies that are, are providing those services, Medibill out of Walnut Creek, California, and Medivest. But there are other ways of doing it. And uh, Ray and I have been involved in a, a couple of uh, situations where we have to, um, I don't know, is it called ride herd on these people, Ray, or bring them into the loop on how they, they coordinate with the settlement process? I think it's been a long, tedious process to do the right thing, and that's what I think this industry is about today. Hopefully we can bring this message out to the folks in the field and address some of the changes at, at governmental levels. Well, there have been an awful lot of rules uh, laid down by uh, the folks in Washington. And I think that's the, the um, primary reason that we're running into some log jams and getting the settlement process going forward and that the bureaucracy doesn't allow us for any means of uh, going back to them on an appeal process to look at what they say must go into a trust, what must be allocated may not be the right number, and there's no avenue for us to appeal that. And I know Jay and I have been discussing that over the last several months, what would be the proper form and how do we get to the administration to say, change your rules for these reasons. Well, I think uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit as to what kind of recommendations you all may have to how to fix this a little bit better than it is today. But let's talk about some of the fundamental elements of the uh, of the MSA. For example, who who funds the MSA trust? I know there's seed money that, that, that starts it, and then it's maintained by payments uh, from uh, some provider. But how does that all work, Tom? Why don't you well, tell us about historically, that? Historically, it's going to be the workers' compensation carrier or the third-party carrier that's settling the claim, and in some instances, the reinsurer or the excess carrier. And they would come up with a program that would look at the type of case that has to be funded, and in most instances, a life care plan would be developed, and that would be priced out by way of the third-party administrators that Ray and I were talking about a few moments ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on the structured settlement side, we would put that into a settlement format that would then go back to CMS. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, we'd have to call in the expertise of Jay to help us get the language for specific jurisdictions. Is that a fair statement, Jay? It is. Um, I just want to point out a couple of things. These trusts don't have to be complex. They don't even have to be a trust agreement. What Medicare requires is a separate account, and it doesn't have to be costly to set up, if you would, that account for the MSA, for the Medicare set-aside, number one. Number two, I think the greatest danger is that plaintiff and defense attorneys I speak with have no knowledge uh, across the board of when an M- when a MSA is required or even the fact of that requirement, whether it's going to be causally related Medicare in the future. Mm-hmm. Third, what I tend to do in trying to decide how much goes into a Medicare set-aside, I look at the claims detail report from Medicare. The claims detail report itemizes every expense that Medicare paid in the past. And if I look at the past year or so, I can, to some degree, potentially project in the future for that causally related Medicare that the person will incur. Uh, And last, Larry, you started the program differentiating between the workers' comp and third party. Yes. And 
I don't know if you're getting into it now or in the future, is that Medicare really doesn't review the non-workers' comp uh, cases. Well, we are going to talk about that a little bit later in the in the program, but uh, the whole third-party arena has put a, a whole new twist on things. Uh, workers' comp tends to be the area where most of this activity takes place. So we'll stick to that for, for the time being. But, Jay, why don't you continue while you're talking here? Tell us a little bit about how... Uh, how a claim, a workers' comp claim, is even identified to require an MSA. I know there are certain uh, requirements. For example, it has to be $250,000. There are other uh, other issues around that, that that qualify it for the yeah, MSA. Let's go back to Tell that 250000 Larry. Yeah. And, you know, Medicare put out that memo back in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, it has to be 250000 if you're not yet on Medicare and be on Medicare within 30 months, 36 months. Uh, 30 months. Mm-hmm. But the issue is, is that wasn't intended to be only when a Medicare set-aside is required. That was intended to show what CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare, would review. It's not the threshold. Mm-hmm. And that is specifically pointed out in Medicare's new memo of July of this year. Well, tell us about the thresholds then. What, what, no what should threshold. they look at? There is no threshold. They're looking that 250 is out the window now. Mm-hmm. In July, they're talking about they're even looking at a $10,000 threshold. Uh, so it's the, going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But more than that, if they don't review it, then you almost have liability going forward. You want them to review it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the point is, is that the Medicare set-aside is not merely required under certain thresholds. Mm-hmm. There is no threshold. It's their workload at Medicare uh, that determines what they'll look at, mm-hmm. not what's required. Well, MSAs also were developed, in my understanding, to specifically address that whole Medicare secondary payer claim scenario. Tom, you were involved in, in, in those federal rules and, and, and putting well, your hands around all that. The Secondary Payer Act was established specifically to, to make sure that expenses that would normally be covered by Medicare but were covered by workers' compensation were going to be covered down the road, but that the, the carrier could not remove themselves from the liability without paying for that. Mm-hmm. So Medicare covered costs should be in the settlement proceeds to go forward, and once those funds are exhausted and the allocation is made, then Medicare will step back in and, and pick up those payments. If they exhaust their settlement proceeds beforehand, Medicare could deny them those benefits in the future, and that's the problem that we're faced with. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but since we've not had anyone challenge the exhaustion of the Medicare set-aside, we have no forum and no place to go back and say, tell us what to do. That is correct. The other thing is, if Medicare doesn't review and agree to the amount set aside, they can go after the entire settlement claim mm-hmm. uh, for what they call causally related Medicare. Uh, when we present it to Medicare, they always ask for a copy of the settlement agreement that sets forth the total settlement and the allocation and the analysis for why we've allocated in the way we have. Well, what happens uh, if these MSP, the claims, are ignored? What if Medicare's uh, rules are ignored? What if funds are not set aside for, for these expenses and, and, and a claim is, is, is handled and settled and, and 
the, the claim examiner doesn't deal with these issues. What happens there? Well, Tom can be sued mm-hmm. as a broker. I can be sued as an attorney involved. Plaintiff attorney, defense attorney, everybody involved is subject to being sued. And also the carrier. And, and the carrier. And it's also, there's some language in the Medicare secondary payer statute that's unclear, but it says it could be double damages. So they could almost penalize you for not going to them for proper approval. So with all these uh, conflicting rules and, and, and changing rules, Ray, how do you deal as, a, as someone who deals with And in fact, there is one this? federal court case yeah. where the attorneys were held liable. Mm-hmm. Well, Ray, how do you deal with it from a day-to-day standpoint? You have all these conflicting rules and these approval processes, uh, and you're there trying to settle claims and, 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 and do the right thing. Uh, it must be a nightmare for you. Well, it's very difficult. It's very frustrating for somebody who is trying to work with all parties, and you get them to the point where we agree that this is the appropriate settlement, and they're anxious, obviously, once they, they sign the agreement or they agree to the amounts. Uh, to have them wait eight, nine, fifteen months before CMS gets around to approving these things, mm-hmm. we're we're losing whatever leverage and or uh, abilities we have to uh, appropriate the funding, and it's costing us money. And in mon- many instances, you'll pre-fund the case in anticipation of Medicare approval, and then wait an additional ten to twelve months. So claim expense is going up rather than going down, which is the purpose for the settlement. Sure. So the bureaucracy that's in place now is is actually an impediment, and there are several people that are trying to get before the committees, and 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 that's where we're we're bumping heads uh, to get to the proper people to say, give us some guidelines that are workable, mm-hmm. that we know we 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 can use, and that we can close this gap quicker. Well, Tom, given the guidelines that we have in place today, and I realize they're, they're somewhat in flux, but given the guidelines we have today, how are we using structured settlements to help uh, in the whole MSA uh, scenario? Well, the, the, the structure is probably the, the best tool to, to manage catastrophic injury, and that's where these trusts are, are really applicable. But when we're taking line items and then using structure annuities to fund them, the cost to the carriers are going down based on mortality pictures and, and how, how we're funding each line item. But the trusts themselves are funded on a replacement basis with an annuity, and that also affects the cost. They're not going to have to allocate a lump sum payment today for all future medical. It can be paid over time. There's where the vendors are going in and getting the proper releases to go and make the approach to Medicare of saying we have the entire Medicare file, these are the items that are covered, here's what you have to allocate for the lifetime of the case, and we can match it up to the annuity. Actually, Tom, are you not saying on an annual basis this is what is being expected to be needed That's the correct. Medicare set aside? Right. And then if the causally related Medicare is greater than what the annuity has paid in, Medicare then would pay. Correct. And then if they if the annuity so therefore for the you're, you're double year, protected with the annuity, is that correct, Tom? Yes. Yes you are. Well and that all of that is a uh, function of what some of these vendors that you mentioned have gone in and really analyzed to come up with the kinds of numbers that make sense. So after the break we're gonna talk a little bit little bit about these vendor groups and these vendor companies because they become a a real uh, key element in trying to put all these, uh, get all these statistics and numbers together. So while while we're thinking about all that, let's take a short break, 
And we'll continue our discussion about Medicare set-asides today on Ringler Radio. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, quite simply the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio and any legal talk network show to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. We're talking today about a very interesting and controversial topic, Medicare set-asides. And we're here with Ray Blanchfield from American Re, Attorney Jay Sangerman from New York, and uh, my colleague Tom Murray from Ringler Associates, also in the New York office. Well, let's summarize just for a second here what we've uh, talked about earlier today, and, and I'm going to do it in a very simple way. What we what we talked about MSAs and the whole area, we've we've discovered several things. One is the rules are in flux. Uh, it's a very frustrating process for claims uh, individuals to try to deal with. It's a slow. It slows down the uh, the settlement process. Uh, we also found out that structured settlements can help, uh, you know, with with the dollars that need to be set aside for the, for the uh, for the Medicare set aside trust scenario. Uh, but surrounding all of that, there's a need to gather information, gather, uh, look at each file, and gather what what is required to to really fit the bill and make the MSA work in each individual case. And and to do that, there are vendors out there that have uh, created. Uh, little niche businesses that, that are very important to the process. And, uh, Tom, why don't you tell us about those vendors, what role they play, and uh, and maybe, uh, Ray, you can also add uh, how they've helped you in, in the process. Well, they're basically an inf- information gatherer. What they'll do is, is post-settlement, we'll contract with one of these vendors to go out and secure authorizations to go in and review the entire claim file, and then they will give us an analysis of on a going-forward basis what would and would not be covered by Medicare and how much we would have to allocate for each line item in a life care plan or on the claim file. And then they would come back to us and, and give us a, a one-time allocation cost, and we would then sit down and try to put together a structured settlement that will meet the needs of that individual and that analysis. Mm-hmm. Ray, when you uh, have a claim file that's got these elements in it, do you bring in these vendors to, to kind of help you out? Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, um, we find them to be uh, very helpful in, in setting forward where, where we think the future exposure is. Yeah, you know, again, one of the things I think we need to touch on here is that we are looking at a compromise. Mm-hmm. That's what a settlement, in, in specifically in workers' compensation, is. We're, we're compromising and we're trying to set forward where we think our exposure is uh, appropriately and allow uh, tools like annuities to fund this. The bottom line is we are we I think we're doing the right thing by these uh, injured workers funding uh, on an annuity basis and or for the for their future. The 
you know, the problem and, and the, the roadblock is, is CMS. It's, we don't have a level playing field, and it's very, very frustrating. I'm, I'm concerned that we're going to lose whatever advances we've made in the field because of uh, these jurisdictional bureaucratic uh, decisions. We, we need at this point in time to be able to move forward, level the playing field, and have some avenue uh, of open dialogue with uh, the CMS regional folks. Because my concern also is that a lot of your workers' compensation commissions are now looking to CMS approval uh, before they will settle a compensation claim. And that's got to slow down the process. Well, there, there are it several years. Honestly, it will, it will add years to the settlement process. And when you start to do that, you're continuing to pay your weekly indemnity and your uh, ongoing medicals. Mm-hmm. And one of one of the problems is that if we've make, made an allocation and we're awaiting approval from CMS, we can close down the file from a claim standpoint if the carrier that's funding it is willing to accept whatever allocation comes down. And that that's where another problem lies is we're going to be looking 12, 13 months down the road before we know what the allocation is from CMS, and we don't know if we've underfunded or overfunded. Mm. Carriers such as... Uh, workers' comp carriers are funding this obligation, and they're willing to hedge their bet, if you will, that down the road they funded it properly based on the analysis given by the vendor. And if not, they are willing to pay a lump sum or write an additional annuity. Mm-hmm. But that slows up the process, and if you've got catastrophic injury where you're obligated to pay until settlement has been approved, you're tying up vast sums of money that defeats the whole process of the compromise that Ray just talked about. Sounds like the law of unintended consequences rears its head again. Uh, Jay, w- what about uh, the whole area of third-party claims? I know we, we dealt in the, in the workers' comp arena, and uh, the third-party arena is starting to uh, bubble up a little bit, isn't it? And I think that's where the danger is, because of the lack of awareness that a Medicare set-aside may be required in a third-party claim in um, the non-workers' comp situation. And Medicare will not review that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I do is send to Medicare our analysis of why a certain amount is being set aside. On the third, on the third the, party arena. On the third party mm-hmm. arena. And make the analysis as specific as possible of why it's a reasonable set aside amount. But now, Jay, uh the fact that they're not signing off and accepting that amount, does that present contingent liability down the road on the part of the settling carrier? Unfortunately, I'm going to leave that as a question. No. So, okay. sounds, uh, like, sounds like another show. I, I think probably the bottom line is how well the analysis is done and how specific that analysis is. And, again, mm-hmm. I would rely to some degree on the claims detail report over the recent history to project forward. Well, it sounds like we're going to have similar issues on the third-party side that we've had in the workers' comp. And, uh, Ray, I guess you should be uh, just thankful that you're dealing with the workers' comp only right now and not, not both sides of the house. One other twist that's that's been uh, coming, I've heard uh, lately, and, Jay, maybe you can speak to it briefly, is uh, to complicate things further is they've tried to... Uh, make a, an analysis of how Medicaid and Medicare can coexist in this MSA arena with a little bit of a, a twist on it. Why don't you give us a little bit of insight into that? 
Yeah, the problem is, if you're on Medicaid, you cannot have any assets. Right. Uh, number one, if you have a Medicare set-aside arrangement for your benefit, you have assets, number one. Number two, if you set up a special needs trust, can you include the Medicare set-aside within the special needs trust? Now, here's the interesting thing. is Medic- CMS is responsive because I did write that question to CMS. And in fact, in their July uh, release, on their rules, they did respond specifically to that. Unfortunately, the response says that we cannot rule on what Medicaid is going to say. However, um, there is no reason that an MSA, uh, Medicare set-aside, cannot be integrated with a special needs trust from the Medicare side. And I would think that Medicaid would not care either, since Medicare is primary, that's number one, and number two, Medicare is 100% federal dollars versus Medicaid, which is substantially state dollars. So I think the states would be very happy to have a Medicare set-aside arena piece within the SNT. What I've done recently in a case where the woman is on Medicaid is I put the Medicare set aside in the name of somebody else. And Medicare signed off on it uh, to the extent that they agreed to that. Well, to our audience out there, if you, if you thought Medicare set asides in the comp arena were getting complex and uncertain and now dealing with the third-party side of things, uh, we may have to start dealing with the complexities of of trying to coexist with the Medicaid uh, special needs trust arena. So these are difficult issues, and uh, and unfortunately, as we've said today many times, uh, we don't have certainty uh, around m- much of this. Uh, but we're going to find out as we move down the road, and I'm sure we'll have additional additional shows on these issues to uh, and bring these guests back to really explore them. Larry, just a point of information for your mm-hmm. audience. I need to be aware of the fact that as of January 1, uh, medication becomes part of uh, this process, mm. whereas before that uh, we were not dealing with uh, future the cost of future medication. That's going to throw another monkey wrench into the process. Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's another uh, another one for us to deal with. Well, all of our listeners are trying to figure all this out. And uh, obviously, they can get information from your websites. Jay's website is www.sangerman.com. American Re is uh, amre.com. Uh, any other resources, Jay or Ray, that uh, are out there for folks to, to tap into? The Ringler website has a number <laughs> of links. Boy, well, I didn't even ask you that question. That's a nice setup. Ring, uh, Ringler's, uh, Ringler's uh, website, by the way, is ringlerassociates.com. So go ahead, Jay. Tell us about that. It has a lot of links to very, very useful uh, resources, right. including, I believe, it links over to CMS. So in addition to all these vendors, there, there are also other ways to get this uh, information. Uh, I know attorneys can do it. Jay, why don't you tell us about that? Right. Uh, the attorney can contact directly CMS. Center for Medicare and Medicaid mm-hmm. by writing to the Coordination of Benefits Contractor, known as COBC. The address can be found on the CMS website, which is Post Office Box 660, New York, New York, 
1-800-227-1274 and can write directly to them for the amount that should be set aside in a Medicare set-aside. Uh, the value of the private vendors is that they would do that evaluation for you also. Right. What, what kind of time frame turnaround uh, do you get from uh, CMS, typically? It depends who you know. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that true of most things in this world? Uh, the turnaround could be lengthy, as we've said on the show previously. Mm-hmm. The fastest I had has been a few days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a lot of it is pure luck right. and who you get to. Well, I, I don't want to overstate the uh, the importance of these uh, these vendors but uh, they are they're clearly a valuable asset uh, to get through this information in a busy world of, of people who are dealing with claims every day and having to deal with uh, uh, multiple issues these vendors like a lot of different vendors in different areas can be very very helpful uh, to the process Tom uh, you've been dealing with day-to-day cases and in, in, in this MSA arena uh, what can you give us a real why don't you give us a real world example well, I mean, we've got a case pending now where I, I think that communication has to be the, the foremost between the claims handler, the vendor that's going in to secure all the Medicare issues, and the structured settlement broker to make certain that everybody knows what their jobs are and where we have to fill in the blanks. Uh, communication is, is key so they know what the benefits going forward are so they can go in and, and make certain they key in the right information when they give us the allocation, the allocated number. Mm-hmm. Do you have a case that you're working on now that you're dealing with uh, where, where this frustration, all the issues we, di- we dealt with today in the show about the frustration, the delay, the rules? Uh, we, give me, you have any examples that can help our that audience? We, we have a case that we reached agreement in principle on four months ago, and we began the process immediately. And we're in a state that will not allow for final compromise to go on the books until the Medicare set-aside allocation is made, and here we are yesterday, the 19th of December, trying to get everything submitted before the deadline where we'd have to now incorporate future prescription drugs into Mm. the program, and the vendor is now telling me they have not seen the settlement proposal, and I don't know how this could have happened, but we're trying to tighten up communication between the vendor and the claims individuals Mm. on a go-forward basis, because we're talking about sums of money in the range of $16,000 a month going out to a care facility that's going to be terminated once the case is approved. The person is going to go to a home environment. So this is, is really expending vast sums of money for the carrier that they should not have had to, to spend. Well, ha- has this whole area of MSAs, has it affected the way claims are being reserved when they're being set up in anticipation of some of these issues and delays? That's a, that's a question I, I think that I don't know if I'm, I'm qualified to answer. I would think that, yes, they have to allocate the lag time that is going to take place between agreement and principle and settlement. There's going to have to be money that stays on the books, mm. and that affects reserve to surplus transactions, and that, that affects future business writings. So carriers want to close out the files as quickly as possible. Well, it's it seems like a... One of these issues where if you put your finger in one hole in the dike, something else springs a leak. So there's, there needs to be a lot of coordination, and uh, hopefully through, through shows in the future on some specific topics, we're going to be able to get our hands around uh, this issue even better. Well, this has been a, uh, an interesting show, and I'm glad we've had the input of all of you. Uh, you're obviously experts in your field. Uh, 
the, these vendors that we talked about that come into the uh, claim organizations and ferret out this information are very helpful. Uh, we, we have lists of some of those on our website, and I'm sure if you talk to Jay or Ray or, or Tom, if you get in touch with them, they'll be able to give you those as well. Uh, I just want to thank you all again for being with us. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, remember, uh, Ringler Radio is here to give you all the information uh, as we move down through the years in the settlement industry. We're going to be here for a while, and I hope you are too. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. We hope you'll join us for our next program on the Legal Talk Network.